Welcome, Ecom Logistics Nation. Thank you for joining today's episode. We're on a mission to share e-commerce logistics insights, trends, successes, and challenges from the leaders and innovators in our space. You cannot do all of this alone. You know, you need the power of partnerships, the power of value chain, the power of being very clear on what the requirements are and working together with people. Right now, supply chain is global. So that increases the need for visibility, transparency, and partnerships across the globe. Welcome to the Ecom Logistics Podcast. Excited to be continuing our series, Shining the Light on Women Leadership in Supply Chain, Retail, and E-Commerce throughout the month of March. Our special guest today is Sapriya Iyer, Director, Global Networking, Supply Chain, and Commercial Operations at none other than Google. Sapriya leads supply chain and commercial operations for Google's Global Networking Division with a focus on predictable materials supply and operations to operate the network at global scale. She is a business leader with 20 plus years of experience has held global leadership positions at VMware, GE, and Imperial Chemical Industries. She embraces the values of integrity, inclusions, belonging, and leading with empathy. Sapria holds a master's degree in computer science, a master's degree in mathematics. Sapria, so excited to have you joining us today and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dan. That was some introduction, kind <laughs> words. Um, but no, I'm just, it's a Friday afternoon. We are going to be talking about all things supply chain, fulfillment, logistics, topics close to our hearts. So I'm super excited to be able to have this chat with you. Cool. Thanks for inviting me. Welcome, Supriya. Yes, absolutely. Welcome. And, you know, we'd love to start by hearing your amazing journey and from what I've read, what we've read, you know, it sounds like you had amazing parents that supported you and encouraged you to follow your dreams. Teachers that saw something special in you, encouraging you at a young age to take on leadership roles and serve the school and community. And, you know, as mentioned in the introduction, we're highlighting women in supply chain leadership. And I'm very confident that your story will encourage other women, including my three daughters, to go after their dreams. So would love if you could share your very interesting journey with us. Oh, Dan, that's that's very, very kind of you. Um, I think we all have a story to tell and our lives and stories take us in different directions. And opportunities like this give us a chance to reflect, look back and reflect. And we all stand on the shoulders of giants. We all stand on the shoulders of mentors and people who have been great coaches. So my parents certainly have done that for me. So have great teachers. So have the managers that I worked with. So, but if you are a seeker at heart, you do find people who can coach you, right? This conversation today, we're all going to learn from each other. Um, so I think it, if you come with an open mind and heart and curiosity, um, then, you know, doors open to you, people open to you, and you learn and you grow together. You know, my background is mathematics and computer science. I started working, truly working in Australia. But before that, while I was doing my engineering, every summer I used to work in a different corporation. Those things gave me real insights of how organizations work. They're an artificial construct, but how do they really work? What do the different departments do? And I was especially fascinated by working across the value chain, operational work, supply chain work. At that point, I didn't quite know the terminology, um, but my first role in Australia was in the space of uh, supply chain, and um, it was also implementing lean, and I had the advantage of having a 
managers and leaders who true, truly guided me. Um, so getting that exposure to automotive industry, manufacturing uh, was my first foray into supply chain. With that, I did more in continuous and discrete manufacturing in organizations such as GE Polymer Shapes, now called GE Materials. After that, as you said, you know, I was in ICI, uh, VMware, and now at Google for the last seven plus years. Um, so from being making the components or for being a first year supplier to automotive uh, to building the world's largest network. Uh, but, you know, it all comes back to supply chain is supply chain. The first principles do not change. What has, I think, the 20, last 20 plus years have taught me is that you cannot do all of this alone. You know, you need the power of partnerships, um, the power of value chain, um, the power of being very clear on what the requirements are and working together with people. Right now, supply chain is global. Um, so that increases the need for visibility, transparency, and partnerships across the globe. That is phenomenal. And I guess there is a lot to dig in over there, but I think just for our audiences and even, you know, we, we discussed this during the prep call, but I think it would be great if we understood like what kind of supply chain you manage today within Google, right? Like what's your portfolio? <laughs> like what, what is that day-to-day -day function or what, what, what mission critical objectives do you achieve today? So Nina, this like I'm I'm smiling because every day when you wake up, you know they say that you're not somebody just laying stones. You're building a cathedral kind of thing. <laughs> so when the day kind of um, when things you know become too much or overwhelming, I have to just kind of remind myself that I'm a very small cog in building the world's largest network, and that again kind of gives me a renewed sense of purpose. So basically, I uh, I provide the materials to build. Um, the Google network, the Google network that supports not just Google search, YouTube, and other Google uh, product areas, but also supports Google Cloud and Google Cloud's customers, enterprise customers. So these are customers in telecom, these are customers in retail, financial institutions. So, and part when I talk about networking, it's the part that links from what is within the data center to the edge. As we call it edge, peering, and pops, so points of presence. So basically connecting the world, right? <laughs> connecting the world um, and both terrestrial and subsea. So the sheer joy of being part of something like that, you know, just makes me bound and excited every single day. The complexity is huge. The ambiguity is huge. The challenges are huge, but the joy and sense of purpose is huge. I'm trying to like control myself, just trying to think about the sheer scale of what you just said, right? Like just literally, I would assume it's every country on the face of the planet that you are trying Absolutely. to achieve. Like we are talking about supply chain that literally extends across the entire globe the entire network. You got anything in Antarctica or like in the Arctic Circle? Everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Everywhere. So. Right? Think about it. And it's both terrestrial and subsea. So, wow. you know, it's under the ocean, it's on land, and it extends. It goes through, you know, different countries, through a farmer's field. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it is everywhere. So Yeah, so, and it's it's uh, not just to ride the the you know, of course, the consumer side of things, but it's also mission critical defense, uh, healthcare really? that that all depends exactly. on it being up and running all the time, just 
all the time, you know, customers are running their businesses on it. You you said it right now that is, uh, it is healthcare. You know, it is. Think about the crisis even um, uh, during war when a country is limited, any country or any difficult situation. You know, natural disaster where they have no way to kind of access external world. Google's network is there. Yeah, you you know, with all due respect to like CSCOs and and whatnot of like retail and e-commerce and whatnot like i have to say what you do and the level of mission criticality and not just you you and your team and google it is absolutely astounding right like just the sheer scale of what needs to be achieved and the sheer redundancy the 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 amount of planning that goes into it to ensure that it just is constantly up and running just may i say thank you for your service i guess <laughs> no as i said you know working in the space itself is i think you know it's a gift it truly is if you get excited about things like this and uh, you know i i have loved everything i've done in supply chain whether it be building a car uh, whether it be building mining explosives that was part of my job at some point so they used to call them ieds mining explosive to detonate mines so that you know uh, but this somehow talks. I think it brings it all together, right? Yeah. Um, to be doing something like this and uh, uh, solving for those greater problems and new challenges. And now, you know, I know we are all going to talk about it. Both you and Diana are also very passionate about this AI and ML. And as more customers start doing it, Google is best positioned that we have the stack to be able to help you know, organizations leverage AI and ML, Absolutely. you know, and truly get those kind of insights, which help them to disrupt whatever domains that they are in, in the coming years. Yeah. So, so maybe, maybe if you can uh, help a little bit understand that, because, you know, in my experience working on client projects or initiatives, okay. you always see either Google or Microsoft coming to the table, talking okay. about, you know, their cloud offerings, Azure, GCP, okay. And there is this specialized line of GCP cloud solutions that are, you know, supply chain centric, like route planning capabilities or utilizing Google Brain to be able to do like trends and patterns, listing, supply chain planning services, BigQuery, etc. I'm guessing and interestingly for the audiences, the tool that we use for recording this podcast, uh, when Supriya joins, it says unsupported browser. <laughs> that, that the reason why it says that is because Supriya is probably running a version of the browser that we don't have at this point because she's inside Google. And I'm guessing the same thing is applicable when you look at the services at your disposal from a machine learning and from a you know AI standpoint, of course, you know, you probably have the biggest AI brain out there. How do you leverage that? And without, you know, as much detail as you can share, but like, how do you leverage that from a planning standpoint? How does it help you get through some of the challenges that we face today, specifically with, you know, pandemic or be it, you know, resiliency around some of the changing geopolitical dynamics in the world? You have to get mission critical stuff to the places that it needs to go. So Google Cloud, GCP's enterprise customers, they get the full stack on GCP. And behind that is the Google network. Right. 
right? So these customers also come to us and talk about designing new products, which helps them to kind of increase their reach, increase their business revenue, increase their uh, customer, um, you know, size. So yes, absolutely. Um, there are a lot of ways in which we leverage. So any technology, any of the AI, ML, we talk to about customers, a lot of those use cases are how we use it within Google. Right. Uh, but for we also talked about a lot of people who probably listen to this are also mid-sized companies. So there is a maturity before you're able to truly leverage AI ML. So I just want to focus about know your data, you know, know what you need to run your business. Make sure that the data health is in a good place and then you can leverage AI and ML. Right. Uh, because there's a certain maturity beyond that is where you have to train your ML models and you you do need absolutely power, you need capacity, and that's where GCP comes into place and the Google network that underpins that kind of capacity, delivery, storage, compute capacity comes into play. Absolutely. Right? So absolutely Google uses uh, AI, ML, and all of our, um, uh, you know, uh, algorithms, all of the work that we do across the different PAs, be it you, uh, YouTube, be it search. And should every organization look at what does it mean for them, how it is going to help them disrupt their space in the coming years? Absolutely. And maybe maybe on that, just as a something I'm curious about, and I've been thinking about, haven't been able to figure it out, maybe you have, is as we talk about generative AI, right? And you are seeing, mm -hmm specifically chat gpt and now i just got an email from google yesterday uh -huh. saying yeah. you you know come join bard right so where do you see generative ai play in you know the supply chain space or do you see uh, a use case at this point within the supply chain specifically because i've been struggling with that one right so it is a matter of trying it out right we are all playing with it so we we obviously started using a bard a little bit before all of this. So we are also playing and learning, but a lot of it, it kind of simplifies. It brings information. When I look at, I even like uh, type all these things into Bart, say, hey, what are the top issues? Can I summarize this particular issues with this vendor or something like that? It brings all of this together in a very good manner. So even if I want to, uh, we have all been trying and we have been talking about it internally. We want to write an article on this. What does this looks like? What Bart comes back with is super impressive. Okay. But we've got to uh, also understand that you still need the human overview. Mm -hmm. Over time, we're going to refine it. We're going to Absolutely. develop it. Uh, so that is where people say, why is Google or anybody saying, hey, try it, test it. It's still work in progress because it will always be um, something that we have to further develop. How do we use um, uh, generative AI in our work? We are using right now more of ML in the supply chain that I work, where we are kind of connecting the information. So the work is done in a particular space. We need more input across the value chain. We are using ML and AI to kind of define that. That, right? Bring all of those together, stitch it together. So um, the insights are much crisper. They're easily served to you, especially when you're talking about huge amounts of data. Yeah. So it is enabling decision-making. The next thing would be to use generative AI to recommend a decision, okay. right? And that's how you would use it. It's all layered on our, and then see, you know, you make your decision, you look at this and say, wow, would I have come to the same conclusion? Let me understand how this came about. So 
Again, as I say, it's iterative. It's not one and done at any point. In, Absolutely. Right? And that is the power. It's not going to displace. I think it is about where are you choosing to focus. It will enhance. Um, it will enrich. You know, I, I'm looking to hire someone in a director of something position. And it's like, yeah, I can sit there and think about and write what the job description can be. Or I can just ask, be like, hey, what should be the job description? <laughs> then I'm only doing 10% refinement on it. Not that I'm right. incapable of writing it. But it just saved me time. I thought you wrote it that. Just me time, I thought you right? wrote that, Nanad. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> I'm a real I'm a really good prompt engineer. Let's just say that. So <laughs> But this is what I think, you know, we all talk about the imposter syndrome with AI and generative AI. We're constantly going to be the imposter, but Dan is going to be Supriya, I thought you wrote that book. Or Nanad, I thought you wrote the job right. description. It's like, oh no, it was eighty percent bad and twenty percent us. And I think we've got to learn to be okay with that. Yeah. And that is where I think um, this whole concept of partnerships also come, whether it's other organizations, whether it's partnering for others for capabilities that you don't have, whether it could be data capabilities, it could be capability around process or something else that ne you need to do. That we've got to be comfortable yeah. with relying on each other, partnering with transparency, greater visibility to drive bigger things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think AI is just another example. Yeah, like think about like your entire partner ecosystem. If the goals are predefined, right? Like you go into your team's annual meeting, go, here are my goals as a company, right? Like I, I need my SLAs to be at 98.5%, inventory accuracy at 99.9, da-da-da, vendor compliance at this level. It could, A, if you are going into a QBR, be like, I'm going in a QBR with this particular partner, right? Give me the bullet points. Or it could just generate the information that says, hey, here's your alignment with our goals. This is what we are trying to achieve. This is what needs to be done. Here's how you have performed based on all the data that we have available on you, right? And can your team extract that? Yes. Well, wouldn't it be cool if the team didn't have to sit there extracting all of that stuff and just it is ready in front of you. And it gives you contextual alignment, right? Like it looks at a broader picture within the organization. So I, it does, it does. And it does need still your oversight. It still needs leaders to still lead with empathy, get to the next this thing. So that is still needed. But yes, it takes a lot of the toil away. And a lot of the work, especially when people do in supply chain, especially during the pandemic, has been about rework, you know, expediting, de-expediting, prioritizing, deprioritizing, shaping the demand, understanding the supply. So it has been a lot of that work that always doesn't add huge value, but it's a lot of toil. So some of this, if we can remove that and simplify it, streamline it, make it much faster. I mean, we're all looking for that... Uh, accuracy but also agility right so if you need that that is where leveraging uh, technology and having the capacity to be able to do that becomes really really powerful but you know what you also said is like you could be an individual you could be an influencer you could be a small organization medium size or the size of a microsoft or a google all have this power to harness this in many intelligent ways we just have to think if you open our minds, expand about what can we ask yep. 
Right. I think that's where you say, how are you using? I'm like, God, I just feel I've dipped my toe in this. There is, you just have to kind of just be disruptive, ask everything and see what comes back and see, uh, you know, what, what is the potential of this? So I think that is. We are actually, uh, you, you make an extremely good point. We are actually limited by our capability to think about the prompt. Because what I've realized is, I'm like, of course, I can't ask a machine this question and it will surprise you that it has an answer, right? Again, the answers are being refined, the model's still learning, right? There is competing models, there is all sorts of stuff happening, but it is actually restricted by how much, how open are you about asking the question? Because you kind of have a block, be like, I can't ask this question. How can it have this contextual understanding? And it does. And, and yeah, I think the surprising part is going to be like, you know, how, how we grew up, uh, no internet, then there is internet and we had to kind of learn and go through the motions. <laughs> uh, at least I'll say my kids are going to grow up where it is going to be second nature about, you know, things of this, you know, generative AI type of stuff. But for us, it's going to take a little bit of time to like train ourselves into it. So. But think about the possibilities, right? In healthcare, we say we go to a doctor, they're so specialized, so they're doing down a certain area. But when you think of functionally across to put all of your reports, symptoms, something to come back to say why, bringing that lever. So multiple times you go to multiple specialists or even in an organization it happens, right? You go to someone, they see the problem in a certain way, go to someone else. So we are so boxed and modular. So how do you get this kind of continuous end-to-end kind of thinking, a root cause saying, coming up with the right solution? So the power is limitless. And how do we harness it? How do we use it? And I think Ninadi, you said it well, you know, the limitation is our imagination. Exactly. Love it. Yeah, love it. And I want to actually go back, Sapri, to something you had mentioned before. I mean, when we think about Google and, and you building the world's largest network, and for those that are just listening, if you're watching it on YouTube, you're going to see every time she says that, she has a huge smile on her face because it does bring a lot of joy. You can tell you love what you're doing, and it comes across in such a genuine way uh, that that hits me every time. So appreciate your love for what you do. But you know, when we had our, our prep call to your philosophy and your approach on the on building partnerships and ecosystems, obviously, you're doing this at massive global scale. But if you think about, you know, a mid market supply chain organization, or, you know, a smaller organization, a lot of times those those companies are, you know, they have they have issues relinquishing power or duties, and, and they want to take things on. And I think the way you describe how to how to partnership in the supply chain ecosystem is is just a, a beautiful philosophy and, and would love for you to kind of share that so our audience might be able to get some some good tidbits. Oh, great question, Dan. See, sometimes it makes sense to have something tightly coupled and a vertical integration where you do everything from soup to nuts. But I think we are moving to this uh, time of specialization as well and seeing what is it that you're good at and focusing on that. So, for example, especially during the pandemic, we had to rethink it. We had huge dependencies on certain geographies, on certain vendors. Um, and if we could do it from scratch, how would you do it? You want to do some near shoring, right? You want to, uh, what? which is the longest pole in the tent? How do you kind of disrupt it? And when you do it just by yourself, it does get limited. 
But if you bring others in the room and say, hey, this is the opportunity in front of us, how do we really solve it? And an example of that was something we did recently on we were seeing, seeing that we were getting blocked by not a high cost item, but low cost item that we would only know towards the end as we are building the network in a space, we would say, oh, actually, I want this length or that length. So getting that last minute information and then the lead times being 12 months was not helping. So we needed that last bit of manufacturing you say or the last bit of finishing happening closer to where we were going to use it. So uh, working with vendors saying what the issue is, we were able to do nearshoring which is bringing down 80%. So in every supply chain there are those constraints. Uh, so knowing what is a constraint versus what is your true bottleneck so that um, I think uh, you know the theory of constraints, the book goal it still kind of resonates today to know what is a constraint, what is your tool bottleneck, solving for that. And sometimes bringing different perspectives and minds and not treating uh, people as vendors or this thing, but thinking more in a partnership way. Obviously, you've got to be cognizant of what is uh, proprietary, confidential, and so on and so forth. But beyond that, being able to have this conversation, I think that becomes important because then you start to solve things in a different way. I think the more I'm also in the office, when I'm talking to people like you, right, when I'm listening to your podcast, we are now starting, it opens up the mind. I, I don't think it's anything more than that, but you have to come in it with curiosity, with an open mind and a willingness to solve problems and for everybody to gain from that. I think that's super important. I mean, the if both parties go in wanting a win-win situation and are very collaborative on the approach, I mean, that's where you mm -hmm. see success. So I think that's that's fantastic advice. And it's time and again you do that. And we talked about something like QBRs as well. You go in, but you think about what inputs are we providing you? Hey, you didn't deliver materials on time, but how good was the forecast I provided you? What could I kind of really improve? You have been supplying these materials for so long. What are you saying, you know, as the true run rate? What, how do you plan your manufacturing, right? And they say, God, you know, we don't even look at your forecast. We know what you actually use. So sometimes, you know, our partners do know us better than we know ourselves. So these conversations do help, even in the world of generative AI. Exactly. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, maybe sticking on the the ML uh, and AI topic, I would I'd love to hear what trends you're excited about. I mean, obviously, I got that same email about Bart, so there's a lot coming down the pike. But um, what what trends? You know, what what are you really excited about that that's maybe six twelve months down the road that you think people should be paying attention to? So for me right now, the most focus is, you know, coming out of the pandemic, a lot of focus is around operational excellence. So we have to do this rapid growth and scale that Ninad was saying, hey, you're there in every country. Yeah, we are. And then there are more countries. Uh, there is more to do. There are more products. But while you're scaling, you want to be operationally, uh, the, you don't want the operational excellence to drop. So both of those, so how do you leverage, could be AI, ML, could be different things. How do you leverage that to drive scale with velocity while being super predictable? Because the thing that hurts customers is not the fact that you're five days late or two days late. If you're predictable, what hurts them is that if you're all over the shop, so you cannot say I'm off chasing some fantastic new thing, but here I'm not being able to predictably deliver you the network you need, the capacity you need 
to be able to run your business. Um, and there are a lot of uh, not just enterprises, consumers, everybody who depends on a stable network. So having a very resilient network, uh, network resiliency becomes important. And for the network to be resilient, the supply chain has to be resilient. Uh, for the network to be reliable, the supply chain has to be reliable. And how do you use uh, you know, all of the technology, all of the knowledge at your disposal to quickly make you know, your supply chain more reliable, more resilient becomes key. You know, how do you focus on the top things that would drive that becomes key? Makes complete sense. Well, uh, no, I, I, you know, track and trace, I would imagine is a pretty key component of driving really? your supply chain, right? Like, yes, I've seen a whole ton of tech that is out there around track and trace and edge and edge AI and, you know, IOT devices. And there is a whole bunch that's been going on. Like, of course, you know, the hardware that you carry is fairly expensive. Let's just call it right. Versus, you know, shipping Barbie cars. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you view the track and trace capability? Like from a trends perspective, what's getting you excited or, or what has worked for you maybe? So I think you hit the nail on the head. When you have a large network, there's a lot of hardware. You do need to know, you need to manage your uh, assets end-to-end. -end. You need to know what, what is where, what is working, what has stopped working. So the diagnostic element of that becomes super important. Um, and you know where what is. So the, yes, we do. So when we work with our vendors, they also know that what we call in our language, pingable, that you can know where the asset is, what state is it in, um, you know, whether you need to augment, you know, something, whether you need to take something out, it's ready for decommissioning, all of those kind of statuses, getting that information real time becomes super important. Now, from a supply chain point of view, because our supply chain is global, uh, the value chain is highly complex, you also need to be able to track and know where your material is and it's in what state. Is it in finished goods? Is it in sub-assemblies? Is it in raw materials. So having that kind of insight is what helps you to manage it, streamline it in a very uh, level, stable way. So those technologies are becoming more and more important. Even a simple example that may give, when it at a pop site, there are hundreds of what we call low-cost consumables that people who are building the network, they need it, right? So we have a simple track and trace system. So as the levels go down, they just kind of uh, it automatically places orders. We, re we recognize what the levels we are maintaining on those side of these hundreds of uh, parts, SKUs, as we call them. And uh, we are able to, it automatically recognizes it, looks at what it needs to be topped, places those orders. They get delivered to all corners of the world, remote corners of the world, and business continues That's without sad. skipping a beat. So getting better and better at it becomes more important, you know, uh, as the locations become more complex, you know, you know, subsea, something goes wrong. You need to be make, making sure that, you know, you can deliver, uh, you know, parts there on time. Similarly, in complex locations, we call them, um, it's not standard locations. Some of them are, um, there are no people. So how do you make sure that you can get the materials there when the tech is there to do the work that is needed? 
Absolutely. So do you get a call when so, a subsea cable gets chewed up by a shark? <laughs> the actually sharks do not do that. They get more uh, the thing by boats and ships cause much more damage. But really? we did see a very cute, uh, I shouldn't say cute picture, but we did see a picture of a possum eating our fiber cable. And I'm like, God, somebody needs to tell that possum that lead time on that is 12 months. <laughs> uh, that's the reality, you know, a cow storms through or a deer or not natural weather conditions, uh, that's where our cables are on the ground. They are overhead, they are under the sea, and these things will happen and we need to be able to repair it. So how do you get the signal? How do you get the person to do that? How do you get uh, the part there? And, uh, you know, we have an automated network. The dream or the vision for us to be truly autonomous, a network that builds itself, it repairs itself, uh, and it constantly works. So everywhere, every moment, it's reliable, it's resilient, and it's global. And that also then leads into from a trend perspective, you know, we, I can say specifically from a warehousing distribution standpoint, and I think in general, other areas like transportation, etc, we are seeing a lot of robotic automation coming into play and mm-hmm. and the cost mm-hmm. of robotic automation right I, I, i'll say you know specifically in the united states and canada and whatnot in the western world where the labor cost is a little bit higher it's starting to show that the return on investment is fairly rapid as well while you also get the efficiency out of these devices how about in your universe like what what what's like from a robotics standpoint like maybe it's fixing cables Right. So because we have our own warehouses, we also have third party warehouses. So when you're talking about the return on investment for, uh, you know, countries where the labor may not be as expensive, there are these shared services. So you've got this big, uh, or, you know, organizations that that do this third-party warehousing. Go for that. You may need a small, but they have made this investment in robotics. So you still get the benefit of all of this without having to own it. And that's what I talked about. You don't have to be vertically integrated. You can rely on partnerships, right? Um, So not in every location. I do not want to uh, manage our own warehouses and do all of that. So there are great partners who specialize in this. So who have the latest when it comes to technology, who have the best practices, and the best people who do it day in, day out. So why would you not leverage that? Um, so absolutely, we have to have the best because it's not not just about building the best engineering and technology and building the network, but everything else has to follow suit. And in supply chain, that is one of our kind of, uh, uh, that is our vision, is to make sure from uh, from um, knowing what we need, from delivering it, transporting it, stocking it, repairing the network. This is reverse this thing as well, because the network at some point, it also needs to get parts of it, need to get decommissioned. They need to come back and we have to either reuse it or, you know, scrap it. So all of these processes have to flow and they have to flow seamlessly. Um, so. Uh, for that, we do rely on, like I said, there are partnerships. You have to hold hands with many people, right? And many organizations who specialize in some parts of it, whether you say track and trace, whether it's warehousing, whether it's transportation, uh, whether it's last mile delivery. Um, so the complexity is there. But you don't have to build everything from scratch yourself. Just like we talked about, generative AI does 90% of it for you. And then you (laughs) do the 10% on it, right? Exactly. It's amazing. 
I'd love to maybe with the the little bit of time we have left because of your, you know, the global work that you're doing and, and all the, the different factors that go go into the work that you do with Google supply chain is is your view on environmental factors, sustainability and and how that's kind of impacting you know, the work you're doing around the globe. And I think over the past I don't know, 24 months, sustainability has become more than a buzzword, right? People are actually doing meaningful work on, on that side. We've been talking about it for decades, but, but it's not until recent that we've, we've really seen this, this focus. And, you know, I mean, you're dealing with supply chain, you're dealing with laying wire around the world. You're, I mean, you're, you're covering all aspects and from an environmental sustainability, any best practices, any advice that, that you would like to give the audience as, as they start kind of thinking about their own company's uh, philosophy and approach? Gosh, um, I don't know about advice, but you see, you have seen, uh, I don't know if you've heard Sundar speak about it and his vision for sustainability at Google, right? And when you're talking about networking, even outside data centers, we have to think about, you know, sustainability from every aspect uh, of it, but even outside. And that, this is where I'm thinking from a supply chain perspective, the more near shoring you can do, bring it closer to the point of use, you know, you, you, of course, decrease your transportation kind of footprint, you increase your kind of um, reduce your carbon footprint. So, and again, working with your vendors to understand what their sustainability strategy is. So again, this again comes back to partnership right? What are we causing in terms of, um, you know, waste? What are we causing in terms of carbon footprint? What are we doing in terms of having those global impacts? Understanding that. I think uh, by in the next two years, is going to become even more. There will be a lot more governance and audit around this. So as it should be, right? Yeah. So getting ahead of it, understanding from your business, what is it? And you can't do everything day one. So, but lay out the plan, build it out. And uh, it has to be across multiple horizons, right? It's not what is here and today, one and done. This is a continuous journey. So recognizing that and planning it out over a 15, 20 year horizon, what is it going to mean yeah. for you? And how are you going to move towards that becomes huge. Absolutely. And I think, you know, just to just to add to that, right? Like, every company has got to think about like, describe before prescribe, right? So like, go right. through the process of first understanding, what is your carbon footprint for every move, what is your footprint? every transaction, yeah. if I'm going to put this server and ship it on uh, uh, in a container off to to South Africa, what is the carbon footprint of me getting it from point A to point B, right? And then what is the storage carbon footprint? And then eventually figure out how are you going to try and offset? How are you going to try and remove? Because the first is, to your point, near shore. So you don't have to ship it from New York to South Africa and try and see yeah. if you can find a partner okay. that carries that stuff out there, right? Like, so, yeah, it is, is you know... It starts with describe and then get to that second stage of like being able to action it to be able to then reduce it. So, no. I think, Ninad, you said it extremely well. It's also then having that mindset. Once you get the lens with which you view it, that you learn to describe it, get your uh, wrap your arms around it, and then you start to solve for it. Exactly. Um, so for different organizations, it's a matter of doing and also acknowledging what your limitations are kind of today. 
but then what are you going to do differently tomorrow and so on and so forth. So what materials you use, are they recyclable? Having these conversations with vendors about their sustainability footprint. Uh, and it's not just about offsetting uh, your carbon footprint over tomorrow. It's like, how do you avoid it? How do you eliminate the need for it? And uh, nearshoring, using sustainable materials, using sustainable packaging, uh, reducing the transportation, reducing the kind of travel. The last two years, Years, right with the pandemic none of us traveled much right goods had to still travel they got stranded exactly. in sea and uh, air and yeah. everywhere <laughs> but it, it brought that business need and when the business need was there people looked at near shori exactly so how do you make sustainability the way you do business there shouldn't be a business need or economic need before you start to make investment in there and i think we all talked about our kids so we do want to le leave a better world for them um, and th there is no bigger need than that but i think supriya there's the other side of it right like the reason why there is more sustainability adoption as well like in corporations i'm not talking about google but in general right in other corporations is people were talking about it and a lot of greenwashing was happening until technology and capabilities reach that level of saying okay now it's also affordable to be green and now it's only a matter of adoption of that affordable solution so we are at a good place so if you didn't do anything before right like just you know corporations that might be listening this this is the right time because you will actually save money by being sustainable because the solutions are cheaper you know we, we speak about describe and prescribe i think being able to describe is easier today in supply chain than it used to be 10 years ago or 15 years ago, right? Like to be able to capture what is your carbon footprint, because there are such great partners out there that you can work with to incorporate into your solutions that you will know what's your impact. So, yeah, I'm pretty Absolutely. excited. And if you don't know, just ask Bard, right? Exactly. Yeah, just <laughs> ask Bard. Bard. Yeah, exactly. If you don't know, ask Bard. <laughs> right you don't have to know all of the answers but you have to make it a top of mind things it's like everything the right time to start is now whether you talk about increasing inclusion dei sustainability all of those things which we put aside sometimes in favor of economic gain you're truly not even gaining economically when you look at these different perspectives and angles of looking to solve something right describe something you you're you will actually make Make more money. You will make, like you said, you will advance your technology. That would be the point, thing that pushes you to make your technology cheaper, better, and more sustainable. Absolutely. Um, so these are the right questions for all of us to ask and answer. Oh, I could go on forever and ever, but uh, <laughs> I know, I know. I feel like if we were sitting down having some coffee or tea, we, we would see six hours pass in a in the blink of an eye. So, Sapria, exactly. uh, this has been just an amazing visit and chat. Really appreciate you you joining us. And do you want to let listeners know how they could learn more about the work you're doing, more about BART, or if you post on social media, anywhere they could follow you to see the work that you're doing? Gosh, I need to get more active on social media. Maybe I get <laughs> BART to write some of my social media posts and things like that. Uh, but absolutely, if you go to the Google site, you look at the Google, uh, you can learn a lot more about the Google network. Um, you can reach out to us 
you know, through LinkedIn or under ask, find out there are always supply chain roles. If you're interested in supply chain, do kind of reach out, uh, talk to us. Also share what you're doing that's different, right? Because like I said, it doesn't have to be to Google. With everything that's at our disposal today, best ideas can come from anywhere in the world. It can come from anyone. So, you know, the more of these conversations, just talking to both of you today has given me some of these ideas that I am kind of now itching to put on paper and go and do a little bit more. So uh, we, we need to keep conversing, but we need to keep conversing on from a lot of different perspectives. Today, we were on a lot of different mountains. We talked about AI, ML. We talked about sustainability. We talked about partnerships. We talked about, you know, bottlenecks and, you know, unbottlenecking, you know, so so-called your kind of issues and things like that and about smarter uh, technologies and so on and so forth. So sometimes we just need to do this, put the busy work aside and have some conversations. So I'm always willing for conversations over a cup of coffee or tea and learn from each other. I think the space of a supply chain logistics fulfillment is, is, is so hugely rewarding that we want more of the younger generation as well, kind of looking at this as potential career moves. So. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, no, I'm only a ping away, like we say. Thank you so much for joining us, Supriya. Well, thank you. Uh, it was lovely talking to you both. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to maximize your supply chain. Available on all major podcasting channels. Thank you for listening and see you in the next episode.